You are listening to CITR 101.9 FM. Um, starting a little early today. Many thanks, Mario, from the uh, We All Fall Down rock and roll show. Rock, rock, rock. Today I am airing an, a super long interview with Mr. Ralph Steadman, one of my favorite uh, artists of all time. He did all the artwork for Hunter S. Thompson over the last 30 years, a m- member of the whole Gonzo movement. And we're talking about his new book called The Jokes Over, uh, Memoirs of His Times with Hunter. Um, after doing this interview, I was inspired, and I decided to be Hunter for Halloween. Call me Liam if you want, but God bless Hunter S. Thompson. Here's the interview. All right. Any level? Okay, let's read this. Let us hope that the horrors of evil no longer loiter on the doorsteps of your path, beckoning you into the brothel of despair, and that here and after you may present them with the most rigid manifestations of a firm and manly will. Ad astra per aspera. Yeah, that's Jack's letter. Now I want to tell you, uh, that's very brilliant. Uh, well, he's doing, Jack was a great influence on me. But I want to put mine, my poem to Jack. This is the uh, ode uh, to Jack Kerouac, who was, uh, and remains one of my heroes. Uh, how about this? This is called, uh, let's see, maybe Ode to Jack. Yeah, Ode to Jack. Yeah. All right. Four dogs went to the wilderness. Only three came back. Two dogs died from guinea worm. The other died from you, Jack Kerouac. Well, Jack was not innocent. He ran over dogs. Just think of it, man. Never mind. Okay, well, that's enough uh, for now, and uh, thank you very much. And, uh, yeah, well, Jack was an artist in every way. I admire the dog thing most of all. All right. Hello? Hi, Ralph? Hi, this is Robin from Vancouver, Canada. Vancouver. Yeah. Ah, Vancouver. The the west, Lovely. the wet ah. west coast here. What? Wet? Yeah, it's very rainy here this morning. Oh. Well, I wish we could have a. Oh, we've had a lot of rain. We're talking about, but they keep saying we're now that we're getting like Africa. We're getting dried out in, down in southeast England. It's just a bit of small talk about the rotten weather and the desperate straits we find ourselves in. In this world, I don't know how we'll survive. Well, it's n- we're, we're never concerned about a drought in Vancouver. It's uh, no? we we called uh, Vancouver winter just because it, it it's nothing but rain. I, I've seen oh, snow like really? once every couple of years. Oh no, so. we well, we've had an extraordinary year. We've just been it's coming, you know. The global warming <laughs> will kill us all. <laughs> we'll be wiped off the face of the earth. The Gaia principle, self-regulating. There we Nature go. Nature will take us out. Yep. No, someone's got to. Yeah, I think so. I'll introduce the person I'm doing the interview with. Uh, his name's Chris Clark. Say hi, Chris. Hi. Hi, Ralph. Hello, Chris. Chris is Chris, the is Chris? Yeah, Chris is the proprietor of a local uh, excellent used bookstore. Yeah. And a, and uh, a fa- am- amateur aficionado of, of Ralph Stedman. Oh. <laughs> I had a friend once, Bernard Stone, who was an antiquarian bookseller. And we worked from 1970 until his death, uh, only last year, 
on doing limited edition poetry things. And, uh, the the uh, I noticed that you did some where uh, you would illustrate the poems, and then in a few situations uh, they made you write the poems, and you made them do the illustrations. Yeah, that's the way. I do it with Will Self now in England. Yeah. With um, he's a writer. Do you know his stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly. Yeah, he's quite. He's really getting quite well known now. Yeah, how the dead and live, and so he's a very intelligent. I mean, he invents words that no one's ever heard of. You know, <laughs> uh, how about floating yellow testudo? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck's that? Will yep. <laughs> he said it's uh, the stuff you see in the Thames floating around the sides of barges. <laughs> of course, it is a kind of floating yellow testudo. That's some lovely imagery, Rob. Is that gorgeous? Yeah. Huh? That's the thing. So anyway, the same he, he does a thing every week, and we also on Saturday we're in Cheltenham Book Poetry Festival. Uh, the same, the same Bernard Stone that you did the uh, Quasimodo Mouse books with as well. Yeah, that's right. That's the man. You know him. Yeah, excellent. Because he he was eighty-five and he died last year. Was it was it Tell along me. with him that you got interested in doing fine prints and uh, uh, well, using I, different papers? I was doing sort of etchings thing. and things like that, but it, I got a flatbed. I still got it, a flatbed uh, press. You know, one of these. You just pull it once over. You ink the ink the blocks up and then press it up, bring it over. It's a sort of a photo photo engraved plate. You mm -hmm. know, and. Uh, I'd do the drawing, and then I'd get a plate made of it, and then we'd use it and print print the uh, one at a time. We'd make an edition of 60, you know. The, the ones that you mention in your new book, um, you talk about mostly just doing them f almost for entertainment, and the costs would basically just be covered by the sales. Yeah, that's r really what happens. I mean, we do... I've done some chapbooks with a wonderful binder from Tucson, Arizona, called, well, Bartholomew. And uh, and of course I work with Joe Petro, and we do still screen prints together. And we're doing a series now to cover this book, you know, from from some of the images and trying to make it into, into uh, affordable prints, you know, small prints that we can. Because as Joe keeps telling me, you've got to think of fans, and a lot of your fans are students. They haven't got any money. That's the thing. I mean, I've looked at a lot. A lot of the art on your website is is amazing, and I'd love to put some of it on my wall. But uh, yeah. Some of it's prohibitive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not that many of them, you know. Yeah. And if somebody's deaf enough to pay it, then good. Uh, well, you've got some poor sap over here saving up his last pennies, so now, <laughs> now you know how it feels. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, we're doing a series now, and there's one on there that we call it Mijé Prince. In a midget. Mijé. <laughs> so, and uh, it's... It's fun doing them. We, and doing prints is a nice thing, and I just send overlays, and Joe burns them onto the onto um, onto stencil blue stuff that they use photographic blue stuff, and then they burn it onto the screen, and then squeegee the ink through it. You know, it's a lovely tactile thing. You know, so I still like that, and uh, I enjoy doing etchings, but I don't have much chance at the moment because I've really got to go up to Aberdeen to do that. A lot of things that are on the, pre on the, I've done a few writers, yeah. a, a series of writers, and uh, actually packed one up today, one of uh, Anais Nin. And um, yeah, no, I noticed you've done a lot of different. Uh, you seem to like to do famous writers. Yeah, 
Well, it's hardly worth doing uh, unfamous ones, is it? Well, you can. I mean, I've done one for a friend of mine. He's actually the editor of the book, Gordon Kerr, of this book, uh, Jokes Over. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, he's a poet, is what he writes, poetry, he's lived all his life. So he's from East Kilbride in near Glasgow. And uh, I once said to him, you know, he showed me all his, all his poems, and there's a great batch of them. I said, I'll tell you what I'd do, I don't think it's ever been done. But let me do an illustration for every poem. Whatever comes in my head, I'll draw it like that, quickly, you know. And then we'll publish it as a chapbook. And he helped buy me this, you know, that's interesting. So we did about 175 of them. And he was thinking, trying to think of a title for it. And he's from East Kilbride. Now, it is a real rough area of Glasgow. So since he's come all this way through all this poetry, gone to university, done all that sort of stuff, and his love of love of books is, is enormous. So I call him the um, the world's greatest living poet. You know, because I say well, I say it three times, and I, what I say three times is true. You know, <laughs> so everything every, uh, every time he makes stuff rhyme. You know, that's what we that's his motto now. <laughs> but also for the book, we thought a title would be you can't get you can't get here from east kilbride oh, no you can't get to this you can't get to east kilbride from here that is you can't go back yeah. really you know he sort of got ready out of it sure. and i don't think it's put so very many copies in east kilbride really i don't yeah. but i think he did he bought a lot of them himself to give to his friends and so it was a nice thing to do you know we had fun and it is nice publishing books i i did hunter's last book you know, uh, Fire in the Nuts. We we published it ourselves as a limited edition of 250. Well, I think that, that you talk about that at the end of the book, if I'm right. Is that yeah, the I think it's probably where, in there. Yeah. The signing where he comes into the room oh, and yeah, sleeping at four in the morning? Oh, yeah, yeah he, he gets, sorry I got lost, Rob. Um, please help me to assess this, this uh, front of this, uh, I can't remember the name of your word he used now. Helping do this this fabulous wine or something, you know. I mean, help me assess it. Um, and, uh, and he brought with him this cougar end, a bag with a cougar end, half a bottle of Chivas Regal. Um, uh, what else was in there? Uh, a couple of badges, you know. And then this big bottle of wine. It was a magnum of wine. And then he he said, uh, sorry, I got lost. Um, I had a flat tire. So he, those are two excuses. And then he said, however, thank you for the melon. This came out of his, I think I'll put it in the book too. And, uh, it's, um, uh, thank you thank you for the melon. And then signed it, the fruit fairy. <laughs> <laughs> and then disappeared into the night again. That was the last trip, actually. It was, it was Joe Petro who actually said that. Uh, I got an awful feeling we won't be seeing him again. I don't know why I said that. And I said, oh, come on. I've got to see him again because I, we still haven't done Bottle with my life. You know, that's the book we didn't finish. It's a pity, really. But he he got involved in that thing. It was really funny at first. And then then he got the second part, too. He, he went to Denver and somehow he got involved in the stockyards. Well, I think, first of all, because he was looking at the horses. You know, see how they buy and sell horses. And uh, he got involved in some waste dump. 
and the book started talking about waste dumps and the disgusting mess that everything is in in the world and it became a real rant of a kind and then it didn't go any further and they never published part two because he didn't finish it so i've got all these drawings of horses and polo people with sticks uh, one of those things is not done. I don't know whether Doug Brinkley will ever finish it. But, um, now, some of those polo pieces were collected in one of your uh, Gonzo collections, am I right? Uh, I was looking I through. Think there, I think there's something, yeah, I think it's in the book Gonzo the Art, something, is it? You know, uh, there's something in that. It, they've appeared somewhere. I've used, I used a couple of them because they're lying there, you see. Wondering what to do with them. I don't like wasting stuff. Well, it's gorgeous stuff. I mean, we're both huge fans. Um, one of the main reasons, I guess, we're uh, the publisher, whoever is hooking up for an interview, is to ask some questions about your latest book, The Joke's Over. Yeah. Um, your kind of, I guess, your memoirs of your times with Hunter. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about that. And also, we have a lot of questions about a lot of your other artwork. Um, so yeah. I hope we don't get too tedious with. Oh, it will get tedious, because yeah, <laughs> I've been at it for over a month now, <laughs> peddling my ass in England here. And you have another yeah. tour coming up in Yeah, America I'm doing that. Week, so. It's coming on Sunday. Well, we hope and to I'm coming to Toronto. That so that you weren't bored to death with it all. Well, you can't help it. Yeah. I mean, that's the problem. I came up with some this morning, actually, because I had to finish a drawing of Will Self and me in Cheltenham, where he interviews me about the book. And I did a drawing this week, because he wrote about it. So the book illustration for this week, the drawing, is us on the stage, me dressed with the hunter hat on and the glasses and the cigarette holder and everything. And uh, the audience, there's a, there's a projection on the back wall of the audience that I actually have in, in, a, in a carousel of slides. And um, down below where the audience would be are a lot of fish, like all the sea, aren't you, when you trying to make it somehow in the writing and the caption of the whole thing is it's not literature Rolf until it's sold <laughs> to say that about art do, do you it, get tempted on your tours after hearing the same question so many times to start to play with your answers a bit uh, yeah, well, that's what I'm doing now I suppose <laughs> going everywhere I don't make know what new now. methods for artwork yeah I mean it's, it, it, it's, it's just uh you have to. I, I had the first person that came down here to the studio to interview me ask me a question about, can you sum up Gonzo in 50 words or something? I said, no, I can't do that. You know, I said, oh, well, can you make a try? To, well, not like that. I said, I can't. And then there was, he asked me another question, and I, I couldn't answer that. And I realized I couldn't answer questions directly. The best way is to meander through it. And you get people, who, after that, I started meandering. When people came to see me in the studio to do an interview, I'd chat. And they would say, oh, I was going to ask you that. And I thought, oh, good, well, I've done it. You know, covered, covered that then, yeah. It's, it's, way, it's a way of doing it, you know. It's, it's, otherwise, it's this, where were you on the night of the, you know, I don't know, where we, what were you doing? When, how did you meet? And, oh, boring. Well, that's all in the book. <laughs> you, that's, that's exactly the question that's the answer I give you know just a lot of it well that's in the book that's already covered it. but kindly I, in a kindly way I, I actually do say well okay well I'll try and tell you it's this this you know this and that so uh, well I hope the questions I have are a little 
different from the original. Like, I'm not going to ask, was he really crazy like people say? I'm more, I think I'm more <laughs> interested in the process of collaboration. Um, yeah, because, of, yeah, that now, the cl- process of collaboration, we invented a process, which I would say is a kind of gonzo, but we invented it in as much as it didn't have to come from Hunter. My pictures didn't have to really ex- explicitly uh, echo exactly what he just said. You know, you may as well say, well, he walked down the road and he was on the, he was on the wrong side of the street or something. And then you draw a picture of a man on the wrong side of the street, whichever street that is, whichever wrong side is. But you don't actually do that. You res- What you're trying to do is a picture that resonates with the words. I mean, the pictures in in um, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas were road pictures, but they were the result of my experience in the America's Cup. That was that horrible journey when I went with him and I had the psilocybin drug and I... <laughs> You know, and I'm completely the, the, twisted. The yellow pill? Yeah. And you went to decorate the boats. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I went to decorate the boats. And the frightening thing is, if I wasn't, hadn't been caught, because they never imagined what we were about to do was to spray can a, on a boat. <laughs> a boat. It's, it's outrageous, but I, thought, I felt quite evil with that drug. It, 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 it simply gouged my my inner being, you know, I, I don't know how I'm to put up with it all the time. He did. It frightened me a bit because I, I thought, well, I've got enough uh, imagination. I don't need to augment it that way. I'd rather have a drink. I'd rather get tipsy a bit, you know. The description of, of that drug surprised me in the way that you had led us already with him popping them like it was a heartburn pill. Well, I thought it was, I really thought he had a, some mental, not mental, some uh, medical condition, you yeah. know, that had, that had to be de- dealt with. And you only had the ones. <laughs> hmm? You only took the one pill. I only took the one, but it was, he told me I was up for 90 hours. I don't believe, I don't know what it was, <laughs> one of his, and what kind of thing had he given me, or had he gotten the extra special strong ones, you know, <laughs> and I got one of those. You only need one, Rob. You'll feel a little weird for a while. You know. <laughs> a little understatement. But don't worry, Ralph. Uh, we'll, we'll be all right. Yeah. But we have to do this story. We had no story. That was a big problem, you know. And so, uh, every time I left England, I thought, is this the last time? I'll never come back again. Uh, it was that, that sort of a, uh, like a commando raid, you know. That's a good way of putting it, really. Well, that it- sort of yeah. It hmm? seems like you guys got really frustrated with each other, then would like bond again. Yeah, I think that was that, that happens in a lot of friendships, but ones as intense as ours, which because it was a creative partnership, you know. I mean, we bounced off each other. I did some of my strongest work with him, and it was it was a it was almost uh, an essential part of the work to do strong drawings and it was part of, it was it, it was demanded from it somehow and I don't mean I want you to do the strongest songs it was just the way I responded to his work as I think a lot of people have responded to his work you know why do people get so freaked out by him you know people do I mean he's, uh, but I think he was a, a secret health freak without a doubt 
but he didn't know how to eat. He was a, he was vulgar and like a pig, really. And um, he just couldn't. He couldn't. I mean, I've, we've had we've had dinners, where, and you can tell he, he's ill at ease around the table of people, you know. And drinking wine to him is like going through a bottle in a matter of five minutes, you know. Drinking it like lemonade or grapefruit juice, you know. So uh, there was a definite uh, uh, uneasy uh, feeling to it, like it's out of place. As I really ought to have been in a pigsty, you know. I've just seen something. It's on my. It's on my. I'm going to see if I can hit it. Excuse me. Oh, Christ. Uh, the no. fly around. You know those big goo bottles. It's the time of year. Sorry about that. It's Sorry. the fall. Everything's coming indoors where it's warm. Yeah, it's right. It's the buckets. I mean, yeah, but they don't pay the heating bills, do they? Not anymore. Fucking thing. Now, anyway. the book to me, it reads like uh, kind of like a long letter to Hunter. Like, it, it, it's a memoring him, and it, it seems like a very honest bio because I was reading it, and you're not, you, you never got involved in any other bi- biographies of him while he was alive. Um, no. Except reluctantly, I guess you did an art piece for one. Well, you know that book by Paul Perry about weird and twisted legend of Hunter S. Thompson? Do you know that book? Is that the one that's all the uh, interviews with? Uh, no, it was, one, it was done about 1991, I think. And it was... Um, mo- I would read it and I said, Christ, I told him all that. He, did, he spent three days, this is in Tucson, Arizona, where Paul Barry came over, so he knew we were we were around. We were doing a wine trip at the time, and um, uh, he was he came out stay at the same hotel. He said, "And we can we can talk every day." And he did three days, not three days of pub, but over three days, he interviewed me, and so much of it, well, most of it, became the book. So I thought, well, I could have done that myself, really. It was a bit of a weird thing. I, was, I avoided the book when I, uh, you know, when I was looking for my memories as it were but somebody said well he hasn't done a biography this is merely a memoir well I didn't it says on the front memoirs bruised memories or whatever you know so I don't know why people say that unless it's a critic a critic is supposed to criticize I suppose find something wrong you know well, it's neat because you're really. I find that you're like dispelling some myths of Hunter, where everyone expects him to be this. I don't know, almost clownish character. Clownish. Well, just he, he did. He he did things like put elastic bands or you know elastic rubber bands, you know things around his mouth, tight over his head, down over his mouth, so that it would pull his mouth sideways. You know, <laughs> and we put lipstick on it. Well, so, and then, so much for dispelling the notion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course he's weird. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Hang on. So tell you just what I'm going to do is put it onto that. Can you still hear it? Yep. Yep. Because I can now put it down a minute and roll a thingy, you know, just while I'm talking to you. No. Yeah, what, where are we? Um, we're just talking about Hunter and uh, kind of dispelling uh, character myths, I guess. Something specific we were talking about. Um, well, that weirdness, yeah. What is it, you know, weirdness? He, um, he liked also, the funny thing is to swing a golf club. I like liked that, but I, I don't think, I couldn't imagine joining a golf club. That's right. 
So that would be something he wouldn't do. But, but nevertheless, he still liked going to clubs, rather like going to clubs where there are influential people there. He liked to be with influential people. He loved being with people like George McGovern and Jimmy Carter and uh, um, even Richard Nixon. <laughs> He, he said, uh, we rewatched the uh, the documentary that the BBC did, and in that he spoke Back in 77. In the, uh, the Fear and Loathing in Gonzo Vision, uh, the one where you guys took the trip to Los Angeles. Yeah, we went to Hollywood. Yeah, and he spoke in one? that of having difficulty, having reached some sort of cult status himself, having difficulty uh, actually, you know, going to these events because... He was as much of a celebrity as anybody else. Um, yeah, well, he said, "Stop pointing that camera at me because you're making, you know, people are beginning to take notice." You know, yeah. and he didn't like that. Didn't want that. Me, I had to hide behind cars and very weird time. And uh, his size and his stress and the fact that he had the cigarette holder set him aside as a as a definite character, rather like. W.C. Fields was, you know, in his own way. But uh, um, he'd almost invented a di an identity. And I think it was compounded by the way I drew him, which was a, to make a kind of cartoon character. I never thought that that uh, Duke in, in, in that uh, Doonesbury strip really captured him somehow. But a lot of people might have enjoyed it, but I, I didn't really like it. It well, seemed more like a mockery, I guess. Like Gary Trudeau, and he—he's mm -hmm. he, um, a man, but I somehow think that my my drawings of Hunter have been fairly good portraits of him, as well as cartoons. You know, they're um, more um, internal portraits. Hmm? They're more portraits of character than just flat. Um, just drawings of a person, I guess. They, I think I managed to abstract his his features in a way that made them very identifiable. It was just something that happened, and, and and I just think we were meant to meet, really, because I just come to New York looking for work, and of all the people I put together with, is one that became the bullseye. In fact, <laughs> I mean, who else? I mean, imagine somebody else. I don't know getting together with even with Kurt Vonnegut who's a friend of mine but it wouldn't have been the same this peculiar thing both of us seemed to be out on some limb at that very time we were both 32, 33 you know and uh, it was an extraordinary kind of meeting and I'd never met anyone like him I mean it was just weird in a way that was exciting to be around you know Collaboration-wise, it seems from your descriptions in the book of the Kentucky Derby or the America's Cup that by the end of each trip to go do a piece with Hunter, you seem to be happy to get away with your life. <laughs> Yet yeah. within you know a month or two months or six weeks, there would be a letter there saying, well, that worked excellently. Here's the next project. Um, well, it was like that. Yeah. I always felt it was a bit like going on a... On a, on a uh, some army raid or something, you know, and and without credentials, without it would be the dangerous way. We'd get in somehow by hook or by crook, you know. 
and, and then you'd head back the, head back to England and start working on on your Alice book or some some other project like normal. I was always trying to do that at the time because I he would never accept the fact that I had my, another life. You know, that I was actually trying to do things like the Leonardo book. He never he never said anything about them except the the Sigmund Freud one about it's Ralph it's Ralph's gibberish about Sigmund Freud's gibberish. You know? <laughs> He didn't like me doing the... He really didn't like me writing. So, the, something that I... I half took him seriously, and then other times I felt that he's just pulling my leg and it's okay, ready to do it. But it was absolutely um, forbidden, as far as he was concerned. He's written a letter to Russell Chatham, the artist, saying, and, oh, don't, don't put... Don't start writing on, on your pictures. We have a problem with Ralph over things like that. I keep telling him not to write because it makes him sound like an old lady weeding the garden. His nuts are shriveling up or falling off like fruit off a, off a bush. You know, things. I can get the letter, read it to you if you want. That kind of... Uh, well, I have uh, uh, some more questions. Um... Still. We got lots of questions. <laughs> Let us know when you're done with us. <laughs> um, one one thing is um, Hunter. He he lived through his writing. Do you find that his intensity for writing uh, pushed you further with your own art? I think so. Yeah. I am. Um, I was dealing with a prof- with a professional, you know, a real and a savage professional at that, you know. And, I mean, I couldn't have done namby-pamby pictures or half-cock pictures. They had to be something pretty fierce to stand up to that hurricane of words, you know. He certainly had a way with his words, and, you know. I mean, he could, but I always said to him that I can I can write better than he can draw. That must have... all right, Ralph. On that style of drawing... Um do do you ever shock yourself with the violence or the outrage in your artwork? I don't shock myself. I just do it. Now I'm just, I'm just thrilled when it happens. You know, mm-hmm. that ink on paper can be quite corrosive in a way. You know, you know, scours the paper. I mean, I make the I deliberately make the um, nib. You know, the drawing. What do you call them? Do you call them nibs? Yeah. Uh, do you call them nibs? Yeah. Sure. You no, know, you dip them in. Yeah, uh, I make them scrape the paper and, and splutter. It might break the nib as well, but I mean it's part of the thing. You know. But um, uh, I draw in a slightly lazier way these days. You know, uh, which is quite nice in a way. It's uh, something that I. And I don't necessarily miss it now. People say, "Well, are you going to do a book about?" You missed out in Fear and Loathing, the taco stand. Are you going to do it during that? I thought, no, it's over for me. I did it. You know, I did my version and that's it. It's, people don't seem to understand that you cannot recapture that. Um, my, my book is really a therapy to get from under the shadow of, if you know what I mean, try to do that and be... Uh, not be rid of him, but actually to be at peace with the whole situation, you know. 
couldn't have just left it as though nothing happened. I just heard a friend of mine today has died, and I don't think I'll write a book about it, you know, but it just wasn't the same. Just some, something about Hunter was pretty extraordinary, really. You mentioned uh, the use of splatter. A lot of your art, um, particularly, but not exclusively, the more uh, violent mm-hmm. or angrier pieces use a lot of splatter. Um, what's the method with that? Do you start the piece with splatter, or does it come as you go? Oh, no, that's as I'm going along, you know. Yeah. I often start with the top of Hunter's head. <laughs> it's a funny thing. So where do you start on a drawing? Yeah. And you find that sometimes as the top of the head becomes a focal point. And um, then the rest of it comes, and then the splatter comes. The splatter sometimes. Actually, I used to do blots and things quite by chance. I mean, it just happened. And I, by clumsiness, you know. But I thought that I would... Um... Sorry, I've just got a fly. Okay, got him at last. He'll never pay the rent now. <laughs> okay, okay, let's go on. Sorry, had to do that. The bloody thing was lazy, you know. Right, so you know I kill flies. <laughs> mm. More splatter. What? More splatter. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't kill spiders. Um, in some of... I'm going to pro- talk about a couple other works kind of yeah. intermittently. Um, with your Freud and your Da Vinci books, both of them you kind of like try to conjure, I don't know, their experiences, kind of step in some of the places where they step. How did you... Like trying to become them or get inside their lives. Like for, with Freud, for instance, I, I went to the consulting room in the 9th District of Vienna and uh, Hans Lobner, the, the, was the, um, the, uh, uh, the, what do they call them, the, not the manager, the, um, oh, God, the, uh, the curator of the museum let me go downstairs to where Freud had his first consulting room and lie down on, uh, he let me lie down on the floor exactly where the couch was and look up at the ceiling and see what it felt like. In fact, it's one of the drawings in the book. Imagine Freud looking down, you know, at you, listening to your poor, wimpish troubles (laughs) one has. Well, part of the reason I'm asking is, the big I am seems mm. like uh, the next step after those two books. Yeah. Now, I'm wondering, like, did you try to evoke the spirit of God, so to say? Yeah, very or? much so. I mean, I, actually, I started to think of him as a bloke, you know. I thought, well, what's he look like? <laughs> and then he'd look a little bit smug, you know, and tortured also. And certainly when his wife died huh, in the book, I thought... Poor bastard's got to go through this and suffer what we suffer in real life, you know. But I think that's why he he had it. I wanted to know. I really wanted to know why what he what he had in for. Why was he so vindictive towards the earth? If if there is such a guy, and in religious ceremonies and so forth. God is always there, knowing everything. I think that's the ego talking. I mean, why should he know everybody for Christ's sake? I mean, it's like being the most creative spirit in the world. If he was there, the things that he's created, he wouldn't remember them all. He, 
even clever as he might be, but then we have to accept it as an all an all uh, being thing, uh, consciousness, if you like. But I trying to. It's interesting trying to trying to personify in a drawing. You've got to put some kind of space around it, having a shape. It could be the shape was kind of interesting. So it's slightly amorphous at first, and gradually it grows to be more like a sort of a, it's a, a flowing being coming onto the earth. So it was, I mean, when you think about it, if you start thinking about God in the first part of the book, uh, you have the earth born, and there's a screaming baby's face on the earth. And then, and then God comes down onto it. Well, if he's that all-embracing being somewhere out there in the cosmos, he must be pretty big, so he couldn't really alight on his child, but in fact he does. So I take that as artist license, because that can be the only way I can make it work. But nobody understood the book, so I don't know what we're talking about. I mean, <laughs> it's darn pretty, though. Hmm? It's well, some nice stuff in it. I liked, you know like the plague drawing. You, you got know. to draw a lot of carnage. And, the, and there was the Lenin, you know, in it. Quite like the one of God going back up to heaven, climbing up the Babel Tower, you know, it was thoughtful. I like that one. And some quite nice. But have you ever seen the book Duda? Yeah. Yes, have you ever seen Duda? The, uh, the trip, uh, trip It's a book I did, last written book I did last. Yeah. Gavin Twinge? Yeah, Gavin Twange, yeah. yeah. Well, Twange became because he went to live in France. So oh, we. <laughs> Twange becomes Twange, I think. <laughs> that had a lot to do with going to France a lot, you know. Because uh, I bought a place down in France in 1968 for £500 and um, worked on it for 15 years down there, you know. Not when we went down there, you know, Anna and I. And um, it was. Uh, wonderful time, you know, building half balconies and weird things, joists, and doing building work, you know, it was good. I think, well, that's what an artist is, is to make, isn't it? Mm -hmm. What we do. It's to create. Now... Yeah, make things out of something and make things so it can be building something, sculpture, or it can be uh, constructing woodwork. I was good at woodwork at school. So... But I was a lousy student, so I left school far too early. And I guess that you could say my my book on Sigmund Freud and my Leonardo were like theses for for a degree, you know. And um, I did my best to sort of do that, now, to in, learn something about you know whatever. In Da Vinci, um, the kind of coloring work you did was very kind of like earthy tones. Um, and then kind of I see, it seems towards the end it gets more violent was that a purposeful style? Usually it comes with there's one where he's with the scholars and that gets pretty violent you know he faces the scholars and he, I'm really interpreting what I feel he might feel there's a lot of frustration frustration yes <clears throat> definitely and gen a gentle nature when, when he sees the old the, hun the hundred year old man how he had such a died of gentle death, you know. It's uh, something that um, for me is uh, 
so important to bring into a picture. And I think that's what happened when I met Hunter and his raging, raging personality, call it that, that I responded to it with a kind of rage of my own. And I wasn't trying to out, outrage him. I was, you know, by that I don't mean to be outraged. I mean to outrage him. I didn't want to do that. But I just couldn't help giving as good as he gave, you know, trying to do that. This is a very important thing to do. It's my, my sense of my own reputation to me means that much to me to do it. Because if I don't do that, then I don't see the point of illustration if you're just going to do it. You know, as I said earlier, a drawing of a, somebody, it just says it in sentence. Uh, he was standing there holding a chair. So you do a drawing of somebody holding a chair and nothing in it, nothing happens. Not that you've broken the leg on the chair, that it's fallen over or you've fallen off the chair because you were trying to change a light bulb or you were trying to do something that was augmenting what might have been in the sense of, say, a page of text. You know, within it, you find things, and you just respond, respond to that. There's no, nobody telling you, or I think that there, isn't, there, is, there seems to be in lots of people's work, that it's as though they've been told to say, oh, no, I must do it like that, exactly what it says in the text. Well, there's no point in doing it, is it? It just gets in the way of the goddamn text. In the end, instead of augmenting it or resonating with it, and that's the most important word used for for anything. Was your process more or less the same when it came to illustrating other people's writings, like your Treasure yes, Island, did, um, or your your uh, doll book, or any other? Animal Farm is one which, to me, was uh, uh, a wonderful opportunity to do pigs and slothful pigs, and then also to do the hero of the revolution, you know, um, uh, 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 I'm breaking my mouth now, um, what was his bloody name? He was the heart and soul of the revolution, the great big horse, um, um, I can't remember. <laughs> My dad will probably be yelling at me for not remembering that. But. Oh, no, it's okay. Don't worry. It's, uh, we'll think of it in a minute. But, uh, it's just the box there. That's him. Box. Box for the horse, you know. Great big cart horse. Was really the strength and heart and soul of the revolution. The most wonderful. That's, if I could have had a wish, of, somebody asked me if, what book I would wish I could have written, I think it would have been Animal Farm, accessibility of it and the strength of the message within it. Now, I, I want to couple that with um, with all these uh, visual adaptations you did for books. Were there any books you wanted to do but weren't able to get the rights to be able to do? Because I know with Orwell's estate, they're pretty strict on allowing people to do things like that. Well, I would only do it because it was a challenge and I would think if it was going to be that much of a challenge, like the Alice books, when I did the Alice books, I was going to do the one by hook and by crook. I knew there'd been a lot of it, a lot of uh, uh, versions of it, but I just knew there hadn't been the version since Tenniel, you know, John Tenniel. And um, I needed to make my own versions of them if I was going to do them. And I thought I'd do the three, the Alice in Wonderland, Through the Looking Glass, and The Hunting of the Snark. And there was even one, Symbolic Logic of his. And I did a print of the the board the game the board game 
uh, or the, the, the game board itself. It's and one, I made that one of his mathematical books about symbolic logic. Yeah. You know. And uh, it was a uh, interesting ex exercise to do that. That was a lot of things I did. Part student, part you know, was moving through being a student into teaching art. And I was learning myself as I was teaching too. I was had you know, thirty students, which I saw through. I went through three years with them, and then at the end of the three years, I said, "Well, I'm coming with you. You know, you're not going out there. I'm going out there too. You know." So we're in competition from now on. I taught you everything I know, and you probably taught me a lot because I learned on the job, as it were, with it with them. I found it rather interesting. Find out what. We've got to study perspective, or we've got to study relativity and the, re the relationship between between objects. Which you can do with the with your pencil in your hand and and the eye and the uh, and the distances, the foreshortenings done that way. So instead of doing the mechanical process of perspective, doing it doing it by putting say six bottles on the floor and then. You've got to describe the flat floor, in a sense, by drawing those bottles exactly in relation to each other. Then you know they're on that same flat surface. And another very interesting thing to do with art students is to get them to start drawing from the feet up. Bloody difficult, but it's wonderful to try, where you try to establish the feet on the floor, on the surface, the figure is standing, and then build it from there. It's... It, it, most students trying to do it because most start from the head and work down and sometimes never get to the bottom of the body you know I said well instead of that let's do it the other way around and start from the feet and try to understand what it is you're doing by drawing those feet on that flat surface it's the most important element in, in the in the in the the experience of space which is what you finally get when you learn how to draw when you've learned something and you know when you're drawing uh, figures that uh, you are in fact describing space which is how I mean it's how cubism works and how uh, how drawings that are sort of more analytical than than just drawings um, tend to describe spaces coming towards you or, or, or flat planes moving away from you or upright planes which are on the same surface but maybe different in certain ways because of the shape of a body so that you can decide right I'll be mathematical about it geometric about it but I'll be understanding something about the way the space in that that figure occupies in front of me and in fact it's occupying the same space that I am in as I'm drawing that figure I'm thinking about me in relation to it there's all those things anyway it wasn't a drawing lesson was it a drawing lesson we wanted today <laughs> <laughs> Well, the people in Canada are getting one anyway. <laughs> You've done several collaborations over the years with Dmitry Sijansky, the oh, yes. co-founder of uh, Nord Sud Verlag. That's right. What was your connection to him, and how did this collaboration come about? Well, I did... Um, I was working for Dennis Dobson, who did the Alice in Wonderland the first time. And he had come to London to see Dennis Dobson, because he'd started his book for children, publishing company for children and he said no it is for children and poets I won't do it for adults 
My, my books are for children and poets, he said. I cannot help the adults, it's too late. But I might be able to help the children. And his first book was The Clown Said No, which is a really lovely book about about the ringmaster wanting everybody to do what, when he cracks his whip, somebody does something, you know, has to do something. And the clown said, no, I won't do it. Not, I will be funny when I want to be, because my heart tells me to be, but not when you tell me to be, because there's no love in that. You know, it was a, he was a very idealistic man. It was, I don't, you know, he was one of Tito's partisans. He fought in the mountains, you know. He was a. Uh, and uh, he was caught he was a few times too. Guy. He taught me not how to do it, but he showed me how to how to catch fish by tickling them, going into the river, going into the water, and then he always say, "Watch, Ralph, in case uh, people are coming. I will now. I think I have, I have the mother here." And he suddenly, whoosh, out without him, was on the on the bank, the fish. Wow. As he'd learned how to do it in while they were, you know, in the mountains in Yugoslavia uh, fighting the uh, Nazis fascists I have a interesting man but he uh, he's unfortunately died now I mean so many of my friends have gone and I think to feel a bit guilty but it was my fault but uh, it's sad Um, we had some fun we used to go to the uh, I went fishing with him many times in Ticino, in the northern part of Italy, just before you go over into Switzerland. And it was a fine, wonderful time. It was a great time. for. I've been through a fantastic period, and I don't know what's happening now. I just think that so many people are showing the worst excesses of self-indulgence that the world has ever known, although there have been other ages. But this one, this electronic age, is now completely... Uh, overtaken and and utilized the worst parts of human nature well that kind of strikes me with uh you gave up doing political cartooning or not gave up just said not doing well, it anymore it's got to be a bit of a game you know not it wasn't there was nothing it wasn't like when i was doing them with hunter it was about nixon and so forth and the whole american way of life there was a real cause and a purpose in that but it was no it wasn't a game it was a real sort of uh uh, power struggle in a way, you know, a contest. And what you had, what you did, was was felt important to do. So, being a just a political cartoonist or an ordinary cartoonist on a newspaper and she regular job and you have to produce one every day, I couldn't do it. I'd be mad. There's no sense of purpose in it. Then you stopped doing uh, political. Well, I, I did stop drawings for about fifteen years. Draw their legs you know, if I do them now. You know, <laughs> <laughs> they say, "Well, how can you tell it's that?" Well, um, it. a question about booze because you have the whiskey book and the two wine books. Yeah. If I was going to shell out and buy a bottle of whiskey, yeah. Um, what what is your one of your faves? Well, I don't drink whiskey now, but I can probably tell you. You should go for the Isla whiskies, but well, Lafroig is oh, Isla whiskey, and uh, Ardbeg. Ardbeg's beautiful whiskey. Oh, I, I've had that. It get, you put a little bit of water in it, and it kind of goes like smoky in the water. Yeah, well, that's an interesting thing about it. But there's that strange smoky distillation of uh, in in Isla whiskies. They're uh, quite incredible. It's quite it strong. A story, funny story told about the Bowmore. Uh, Bowmore itself, the, the town 
on Isla, and um, there's a Bowman distillery, and they there'd be a death in the you know in the distillery at some stage or other, and so they'd have a funeral, and the employees would all, would all gather at one point at some far end of the bay somewhere and walk towards with with the coffin and carry the carry the coffin to a, a number of pubs that were along this place and they'd go into each pub and they'd have a whiskey and drink it to this the coffin you know they'd put the whiskeys on the coffin all right and then they have to eventually walk up the hill with the coffin to a church which incidentally had no corners in it. it's a round church and they said it's so that the devil can't find any places to hide you know and uh they they got they got up the church we were pretty pie-eyed by this time they got up to the top there and he said oh where's the fucking coffin you know that's, <laughs> they left it down below somewhere in one of the one of the drinking houses. That was some good whiskey. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah, good whiskey. So they had to go down and find it. I've but got that was one of the things. The other one was, always on a Friday night, uh, Jim McEwen he used to run, he was the manager at uh, the uh, distillery in Isla. He, um, he'd see these guys would always come in on, on, a, on a Friday wearing Wellingtons, you know what they are, those rubber boots. Yeah. And you'd see them going out and they'd say, you're walking funny tonight, Willie. You know, and he'd be going out, and his his whiskey, his, his Wellington boots were full of whiskey, distilled <laughs> spirit. You know that he'd taken from the from the uh, still, and he did stories like that from him. It was very funny. Now, should when you drink the whiskey, how do you prefer it, neat, on ice? I prefer it neat, actually, and I really prefer a chaser, beer chaser. You know. Something like that. Well, in the book... I can't just drink it and drink it and drink it. I couldn't. No, it's something you have once in a while. Yeah. With Hunter, it was always a quart. I mean, he'd never really experienced malt whiskeys till I introduced him to them, you know. And the first one I bought him was um, Glenfiddich, which is not really a very good malt whiskey. It's a good good place to start. I blend or a bay blend, and that's it. But it's just malt whiskies, but it's a blend, and it's not not grain whiskies, which are the usual ones you can get, like Bell's is a grain whiskey. But um, it was a wonderful time doing it and tasting and trying all these things. But when we went to Tennessee, they wouldn't give you a drop of the damn stuff, you know. And we had to go out, you had to eat there, and all they give you is a piece of... Uh, um, Jack Daniel's uh, whiskey cake, and that's all the kind of about the much whiskey as you'd get. It was a cake, you know. Uh, they were terrible there. Uh, the ten- in the Nashville, Tennessee, was not Nashville, um, Lynchburg, which the very name itself suggests it's, it's a little ominous, ominous place. Yeah, it was a horrible place. Yeah. Um, and, um, they just never. They don't touch a drop themselves, or so they say. But uh, they always cook with it, you know. Well, it adds, I guess it adds a nice flavor. An abomination to cooking with whiskey, I think. <laughs> I mean, it's got a nice whiskey or something. Well, I like how you uh, refuse to forgive Hunter for uh, putting ice, uh, putting the Glenfiddich on ice. I've always liked doing that. Plenty of ice, plenty of ice. 
I took, I introduced him to my my publican down the village. He's gone now, but Martin, and uh, he uh, went down there and said, "Would you like a drink, Hunter? You know, we'd like." He says, "Oh, I like a whiskey, please." So, so the publican, they have these optics, you know, these things where they press the glass up against it and the spirit comes out in a little measured amount. They don't do it free from the bottle. They do it pushing the thing up against the glass up against it and the whiskey comes out and uh, he said uh, is that a sample <laughs> <laughs> he said well uh, can I have plenty of ice please plenty of ice for the ice to put in then uh, this is a Glenfiddich he got for him and they're quite expensive bottles of whiskey and he said can I have some more please and then Martin went on on these tall glasses and filled it right to the top with all the ice in it, you know. It came from about a third of a bottle. <laughs> and, uh, oh, that's more like it. That's great. So uh, Martin took me aside after. He said, look, if, you, if you're bringing your friend again, uh, you think you could bring your own whiskey? I don't mind dispensing it, but it'll cost you a fortune if I serve it here, you know, with bar prices. <laughs> so I bought, in the week he stayed with me, there was ten bottles of whiskey with it. Went from you know to Mark to Martin so he could keep him in and stuff I think a but bottle lasts me six months he said uh, by the way you don't happen to um, have a gun do you <laughs> to Martin Martin had so he, le- he lent it to Hunter and he he came back he went down on his own one night and he came back and he said Martin's a nice man he said uh, he's only been there ten minutes and he was offering me not only his gun but his daughter as well <laughs> So he, was, he used to go down on his own once he got to know the place, you know. It's quite funny. But he'd take my car. He'd go down there and he would get... Well, he was always in control for some reason. He was driving and pouring whiskey into a glass and feeling for a beer behind the seat in the ice bucket was his style. <laughs> that spirit of Neil Cassidy, I guess. Yep, I think so. Yep, that's right. Now... He was never one of the beats, was he? No. You, I, I mean, I just think he started a new trend, a new thing. Well, it seemed to me like... He acknowledged, he acknowledged um, Jack Kerouac, uh, you know, from in, uh, on the road, in his book, The Proud Highway. I see the connection there, using that title. The Proud Highway is a kind of on-the-road version for Hunter. And... Um, I think that uh, he acknowledged Jack Kerouac and he probably all the other beats. But I don't think he was that keen on people like uh, Allen Ginsberg, for instance. And he he was supposed to meet William Burroughs, but they exchanged guns, but they never met. There was no sort of sympathy between them. Speaking of which, on that note, how did you end up doing the the Prince with Burroughs where you... uh well, I, the art and he I, shot. I met him in uh, in a gallery called the October Gallery in England, in London. And he was having a show, and I was having a show, so we talked about things. And then he was being represented by a guy called um, Jose Ferez, a Mexican guy. And uh, and he, for a while, did stuff for me, but I really didn't want an agent like that. So that was so far. But, I mean, we did get together and do a shoot. We organized a shoot, and we were in America, so we were going to go over there, meet meet um, 
James Grauhaust, who's the guy that brought him out of New York after he was really nearly finished. And I took him down to Lawrence, Kansas, said, I can help you to wean you off, off smack and uh, get you on methadone, at least. And you must go be under hospital supervision and go every Thursday and take pills in front of the doctor or whatever, and then take the rest the same way every day for the week and then see me next week. It was very controlled. And then he, he uh, when we met, he was always handed a glass with uh, vodka in it, which was then topped up with Coca-Cola. I said, why, why do you drink vodka with Coca-Cola in it? He says, because I can't stand the taste of raw liquor on my tongue. Well, that, that was William Burroughs. Different animal to Hunter, but uh, they're all interesting. They all used Both to come legends. into Bernard Stone's bookshop, you know, Ferlinghetti and people like that. And Kinsburg as well, and and uh, Terry Southern. And um, remember, uh, pa well, Patty Smith came in too, people like her. And a guy called Joe Malanga, who was a photographer. Uh, is the shop it's still there, time. or did it close? Oh, oh. Did it close down when Bernard? You know, Lawrence Durrell came in. Um, uh, Alfred Perlis, remember him? Oh, writer. Yeah. Well, he's a Lawrence Durrell friend, friend of Lawrence Durrell. And uh, it was wonderful, really. I mean, it was a great time. The seventies were fantastic. That, and everybody was smoking. Everybody was drinking, and. I think now about no smoking in New York and that sort of thing. And the least of our worries right now with the world in the mess it is smoking. Mm -hmm. It's really pathetic. No, I just went to New York for the first time last week and it was a... Did you like it? Um, I had fun wandering the city, but I still felt like I was missing something going when I went. You thought you were missing something? Yeah. You know, yeah I, went, I went in the early 70s when I first went there. I used to walk down Skid Row just with a with a pocket full of quarters, and be ready for when one guy would come up, give us a dime, buddy. This is a this is a tough city to get started in, you know. And you know, you you go down, walk the whole length of it, and on the way up, you'd see that same guy in a doorway out to the world, you know, mm -hmm. around broken glass. It was a terrible, a terrible sight. Really. Awful mess. I don't know they cleaned it up since. Uh, it's very clean there. Uh, I was lucky enough where I was staying was uh, about two blocks from the White Horse Tavern, so I got to have a drink there. Yeah. Which well, you in Greenwich Village, anywhere? Uh, the West Village. All oh, right. Yeah, right. I mean, it's all the village, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I was on West 11th, I think, when I, was, I stayed there. Yeah, that's um, hmm? that's pretty much right by where I was staying. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's it's a gorgeous area. Yeah. Now... I have a couple of quick last questions because I yeah. realize it's uh, time is getting up there and we've had you for uh, oh, almost an hour now. Um, the else was ah. um, Interview upon interview. Uh, this is a radio show, so is there any music you want us to play? Do you want what? It's a radio show that I'm recording this for. So oh, is there yeah. any music you'd like me to play? Um, yeah. Can you get hold of Norma Waters from God Loves a Drunk? Norma Waters? Norma Waterson. Waterson. Okay. God loves yeah, I don't, I'm just wondering whether it's... I've got a... I might have a... 
hang on, a, a record, not, you know, sleeve number, whatever they call them, you know. The, uh, God loves a drunk. I put it. I put it on my choice of records. It's um, <clears throat> let's see. Norma Watson, God loves a drunk. You can have that one. Or you see, you can't play. You really need this, but it's. I can play. It's college radio. I can play anything. Can you find that? Oh, I can hunt down music pretty good. Or a song I wrote, I, I sang called Sweetest Love, I Do Not Go for Weariness for Me, but in the hope the world can show a sweeter love for me. But since that I must die at last, it's best to use myself in jest, thus by feigned death to die. And I sang that to us uh, to Greensleeves music. Anyway, that was, because I used to sing, and, and I've, I've written a, written a, an eco auditorio, which they're going to try and put on in America next year. Uh, it's played through five cathedrals in England. It's called Plague and the Moonflower. The plague demon represents the dark side of our soul. You know. So I, I'm just looking if I can see here. Noah Watson. I've got it. I'm just see if it says any numbers. Anything. It's uh, 1996. Okay. God damn it. I'm sure we'll be able to small. do that. Yeah, don't worry. One one last well, quick question. No, it's a shame, really. I've got a I've got a glass here. Maybe I can see it. What are some um future hmm? books you may have coming out that we can look forward to? What what I've got coming up? Yeah. Now the Oh it's a Rikodisc. Rike, Rike. Oh Rikodisc yeah, the station I might get serviced by them. Yeah. So that's well, no that's, problem. Uh, Richard Thompson, King, uh, Bug Music, is that? Bug Music? Big Music? BMG. I'm trying to read it on this, but I was a magnifying glass. Uh, Bug Music Limited. They are Richard Thompson wrote it, Norma Watterson sang it, and it's Bug Music Limited, 1996, Ryko Disc. It's a copyright thing. Or All right, we'll do our best to turn that up. Right. Well, thank. You find that. Are there any uh, upcoming books that you have working on in the pipeline? Uh, oh, what about Gonzo Yoga? Gonzo Yoga. Sounds awkward. Hmm? <laughs> I don't you know if I'm flexible enough. Is that wild enough to try? <laughs> I, mean, I could give that a go, couldn't I? It's, it's a be... big fat over here right now. <laughs> well, it's the kind of thing to... No, I don't know what to do, actually. I want to get this book out, you know, peddled, if you like. I think bearing in mind that thing about it's, uh, it's only literature, Ralph, when it's sold. <laughs> <laughs> That's really the... Well, we wish you the best of luck with your new book. Oh, thanks. And have fun in your America tour. We both really appreciate you taking the time to sit with us and uh, yak oh, about your work I'm and your experiences. Sorry for, you know, well, I just went off down different rabbit holes for you, but it's the best way, I think, in the end. I don't know. Certainly. People don't necessarily want a stream of uh, organized bullshit, do they? I mean, they're just better to just talk the way one does. Oh, I appreciate that. Uh, there's nothing, like, I, I enjoy reading interviews that are different interviews, like because sometimes when people go out and they do a bunch of interviews at once, it's all the exact same questions, exact same interviews. 
So yeah. new, new s- a, I mean, a conversation is a kind of wandering, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Through thoughts, just like going for a walk in the woods or something. No. And that's, I guess, that's real conversations. Yeah, it's the best way. It was a nice talking to you both. Thank you very and, much, uh, Ralph. It's two against one. Not fair. <laughs> <laughs> we win. Thanks very much. Okay, pleasure. Have and, a good day. Uh, lovely to hear you, and greetings to to Vancouver. How's that? Thanks very much. Okay. Good, bye. Good day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. That was Ralph Steadman, uh, author of The Joke's Over, his memoirs with Hunter S. Thompson, I'm a huge Ralph fan. His stuff is awesome. Um, check it out. He is doing a signing or something in Toronto. Take a look at his website. I think it's ralphsteadman.com. It's, he has some incredible prints. He's a legend. Hunter S. Thompson, you've all watched uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Well, Ralph was his lifetime artistic collaborator who uh, really gave uh, a new look to pop culture art. He brought in a certain like ugliness and it's a beautiful ugliness, and I can't say enough about it. This is the Inkstud Show, CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver. Thanks for listening, and uh, have a good day. Will there be any bartenders up there in heaven? Will the pubs never close? Will the glass never drain? No more DTs and no shakes and no horrors. And the very next morning, you feel right as rain. But God loves a drunk, the lowest of men. Like the dogs in the street and the pigs in the pen. But a drunk's only trying to get free from his body. And he soars like an eagle high up there in heaven. And he shouts and his curses are just hymns and praises to kickstart. Is mine now and then. God loves the drunk. Come raise up your glasses, amen. Does God really care for your life in the sober? A dull little life full of joy. And bring up the babies to be just like daddy And maybe you'll be there when he gives out the wings But God loves a drunk, although he's a fool And he wets in his pants and he falls off his stool And he can't hear the insults and the whispers go by him As he leans in the doorway and sings Sally Racket And he can feel the cold rain 
And he screams at his dream. 